welcome to The Alchemical Mind. My name is Martin. This episode is a little bit of an advanced lesson in how to do proper meditation. So we're going to go over certain things on how to do a proper meditation. And as some of you are already laughing because I always say there is no proper way. We'll get to that, don't you worry. But we're going to talk a lot about focus and concentration. Because for certain types of medica- meditation, focus and concentration are key to, to achieve the desired result. The desired result is, of course, achieving some kind of peace of mind, some quiet mind, right? You quiet the monkey mind. If you don't know what the monkey mind is, go check out. It was like episode two where I talk in depth about that. I've also talked a lot about different types of meditation, some of the things that I put into my own personal practice. Focus meditation, I'll talk a little bit about that as well. Guided breathwork meditation, in particular shamanic breathwork, I find really interesting as well. But more importantly, I want to talk about why it is that meditation is taught in a particular way. Because there is actually a reason, there is a very good reason why the image that you might have in your head about what meditation entails is the way it is. Now, I always say there is no right way to meditate. The important part of meditation is actually doing the meditation, not following certain steps to get whatever desired outcome is, right? That is true. That still remains true. That will never change. The reason that I say that, though, is because getting into proper meditation and achieving some altered state of consciousness in a meditative state is very, very difficult. It requires a lot of work, a lot of work. But the thing is, if you tell someone, hey, you need to do the meditation this particular way, you hold your breath this many seconds, you take your breaths in and out this many seconds each, you need to focus on this thing, you put your hands in this position, you need to sit cross-legged or in lotus position or whatever it might be. When you start putting these obstacles in front of people, people naturally will not want to do these things. And that's, that's common. That's just human nature. People always like to take the easy way out. We've talked a lot about this over the last couple of weeks, in particular last week when I had all my guests on the show. That was kind of a central theme of those episodes. I hope you paid attention to that. If you haven't, go back and check them out. They were all amazing. I had a great time chatting with those people. And uh, we'll definitely be having some more guests, and some of those guests will be returning to the show as well. But meditation is not easy. Right? You might think it's easy to just sit quietly, focusing on something, maybe not focusing on something if you're doing neti-neti. Just focusing on your breath, breathing in and out, sitting comfortably. You might think that sounds easy. But of course, as, we, as I've been talking about on this podcast for however many episodes this is, that is not an easy thing to do. Because, of course, we're always used to doing so many things at one time. And oftentimes juggling multiple things at the same time. And, of course, that is counterintuitive for when we want to start a meditative practice. Because the majority of meditative practices involve not doing much of anything. But you got to think about that particular statement. Again, this may be true of Neti Neti. And I'm going to talk about Neti Neti at the end for a particular reason. But for most people doing meditations, you're oftentimes doing some type of focus meditation, some type of mindfulness meditation. And if that is the case, 
that requires a lot of mental discipline because you're focusing on your breath, for example, or focusing on a candle if you're doing Trataka meditation. So the key aspect to truly successful meditation is learning how to focus and learning to develop your concentration. Once you do these things, you can achieve a more mindful state. Now, those three things go hand in hand. So the stuff that I'll be talking about involves kind of curating an experience that allows you to develop your particular focus muscle, your, your meditation muscle. It is, it is a muscle, something that you, you get better at as you practice. But when you're new, when you have no experience, or maybe when you haven't been taught properly, or you haven't done the practice long enough for you to figure it out on your own, which is, of course, very possible. These things just didn't come out of nowhere. Someone had to practice and practice and over generations develop a system that we come to know as meditation, various kinds of meditation. But you need to practice these things, and it all starts with focus. Now, the way I like to look at this is focus is a finger in your hand. It is a very fine point that you can center your attention on, just your finger. Concentration is the feeling that envelops all of concentration. And so concentration is more like your hand. It is a wider aspect of the focus. And when you achieve great concentration, you start learning what it's like to be more mindful. And mindfulness would be something like your whole arm. So it entails the finer points of focus and concentration into an all-encompassing thing. Another good analogy that I've heard is something like, you know, concentration is a wave in an ocean of mindfulness. It's also a good way to look at it. And when I talk a little bit more about mindfulness, that'll be coming up in the next couple of weeks, because I finally finished my, my course on mindfulness. I wanted to make sure that I learned from a master. Even though I've been practicing for, you know, quite a while. I, I wanted to have that experience of learning from someone that's been doing it for decades. And, and now that I have, I want to share some of that with those of you listening. And we'll do, you know, different exercises and stuff. But we gotta, we got to lay the, the base. we gotta, we got to start somewhere. And this is why when I started talking about meditation very early on in the podcast, I didn't dive deep into some of the more hardcore meditation practices. Like Tumo, for example. I'll definitely be talking about Tumo here pretty soon. Uh, I'll be doing some practice in Tumo uh, over the next week. Again, I'll get to that at the end of the episode to explain why. But enter into one of these more advanced meditation techniques without having the basis. Okay? So let's start at the basics. When you think of someone meditating, you think of someone sitting down, usually cross-legged, their hands on their laps in some kind of mudra. Their eyes are closed or partially closed, maybe staring somewhere directly in front of them, maybe kind of down at an angle, like 45 degree angle, a 30 degree angle, something like that, and just sitting there peacefully. Now this is great, but the problem with this image that you have of what meditation is, is it tells you nothing about what meditation is. Because once you begin doing a meditation practice, you know that it's about going inside, about finding out what's inside you, and maybe beyond you, depending on what kind of belief system you come from. 
Now, of course, when you're talking about the inside work, the personal work, the consciousness work, it is impossible to paint a picture because the only experience you have of what it's like to be a human being, of being alive, is the experience that you bring to your meditation. You know, you and I can go outside and look at the leaves on a tree, and we both can possibly agree that they're green. Most likely we'll agree that they're green. But what, is, what does that mean? What does green entail, right? It's simply a concept. And what you see as green might be slightly different than what I see as green, right? I mean, I'm sure, I might be colorblind and I can't see green, so I see it as red, right? But I know that it's supposed to be green, like the word for a leaf is green. So when I look at this red object, to me, it's green. And to you, it's actually green because you, you can see the color green. But even if, even if that's not the case, even if that's not the case, right? If you... If you're not colorblind, I'm not colorblind, we look at green, you might see different shades of green, right? You might see a light green, I might see a dark green, or you might see different shades of dark green. So it's impossible to share what an internal experience like the practice of meditation is. You can simply give someone a picture of what it looks like to meditate. And this is the reason why I always say, don't focus so much on doing it exactly the right way because there is no right way. Now, you might get better at certain aspects of it, but eventually the practice is still yours. It is your practice. And what it ends up being in the end is purely unique to you. Now, going back to the point about, you know, I can't tell you to start doing 20, 30 minutes a day, an hour a day, two hours a day, because that's a lot of hard work. That's true. In particular, when you have no experience. If I tell you to sit for 20 minutes, you're going to say, well, I can't sit for 20 minutes. I have a hard time concentrating for five minutes. So we're going to address some of those things. But it's all going to come down to working on this focus muscle. Right? You lack focus. You're used to being everywhere at one time. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm an employee. I'm a boss. I'm a brother. I'm a son. I'm an uncle. Whatever. Right? All these things. So how do we develop this focus? So let's break down the practice of meditation and how you can become a really good, true meditator. It will all start with working on this focus muscle, this concentration muscle, on increasing your mindfulness. And as you get better and better at these things, you can try different kinds of meditation that don't involve those things. Maybe that involve the exact opposite. Again, the neti neti method. Best way to do this is just to start with one point of the meditation, one aspect of the meditation, and do it for one minute. Now, a couple weeks ago, I did a very quick exercise in which I sat in silence for two minutes. So if you had a hard time sitting in silence for two minutes, right, you, you fast forwarded the podcast to get to what happened after the two minute meditation. So you missed the entire point of the two-minute silent meditation. The point was, can you get through that two minutes? So I always say start with one minute. And if you can't start with one minute, start with 30 seconds. Start with whatever you feel makes you comfortable. How long can you sit in one position without feeling like you need to go and do something else? And the good thing about this is once you start doing this, you start to realize, well, after a week or two weeks maybe, I can go from one minute to two minutes. Maybe after a couple more weeks, you can go from two minutes to five minutes. 
it'll you know go to 10 minutes and 20 minutes and 30 minutes however long it is that you want to go now i will tell you as you become more proficient and more experienced and you can go longer you will find benefits from going much longer i've sat and done you know an hour two hour meditation and gotten a lot more insight than i would in just a 20 minute meditation but there's benefits to all of it. You don't need to do it for a specific period of time. Even just the one minute of meditation will do you some good. And why? Because right now, you might be doing zero minutes of meditation. Now, the reason I want to focus on focus and concentration is because there's something really interesting that happens when you work on your concentration. Something really interesting happens in your brain. If you follow some other podcasts, say like Joe Rogan or any of these other podcasts, uh, you hear some talk sometimes about, uh, they don't use the term access concentration, but it's very similar. Uh, you have to hear the, the term flow state. Flow state has become kind of a big deal nowadays. I, uh, you know, I used to be a lot into tech. And even like tech blogs and tech podcasts, you hear people talking about the, the flow state. Because this happens, you know, if you're, if you're a developer, for example... And you sit down on a computer and you're working on this app that you're developing, some piece of software, and you're sitting there and you start coding, you kind of tend to lose track of what's going on. Because all you're doing is using all of your focus, all of your attention on this one task. And it puts you in this really odd state, this weird mental state, where, for one, you don't notice other things. All you notice is the exact task that you're doing. And that's, of course, very counterintuitive when you're used to doing multiple things at the same time. And what this does, too, is because all you're focusing on that, you lose track of time. So you might be sitting there doing this particular thing for, you know, four, six, eight hours, ten hours in a day. And all of a sudden you realize, oh, my God, it's six o'clock. How did that happen? You enter the flow state. You get this, too, if you're, uh, you know, if you're a runner, for example. Uh, the, the term in, in running is more something like a runner's high, but it's, it's almost the same as a flow state, where when you get to a certain point, you end up breaking through that barrier that was holding you behind. And you're longer set back by whatever limitations you have preconceived in your mind about you what can you cannot do. And so you break through this barrier and you keep going. And you feel like you're unstoppable. You feel like you can run forever. Of course, you probably couldn't run forever, right? Your body will at some point break down. But you feel this sensation of, of happiness, of joy, right? And this, this is how you get, this is how you know that you've entered into a flow state. Because you realize that nothing outside of you matters. All that matters is the attention that you've given the task or the object or activity that you're focusing on. So in the more religious meditation industry, I guess, become kind of an industry, uh, the term would be more something like access concentration. And it's very similar to flow state and the runner's high. Where you get to a certain point in your meditation where you're so focused on the thing that you're doing that everything else fades away. And that's really the goal of what we're trying to do, right? So this is not some hippy-dippy thing that we talk about. This is an actual state that people achieve on a daily basis all the time. 
if you want to use more traditional terminology, maybe you can think of this kind of like a nirvana, some kind of samadhi experience, maybe some, some kind of enlightenment. You can think of it however way you want. But there is scientific basis for these flow states. And this is what we want to achieve when we go into meditation. We want to achieve some sort of meditative flow state where we can break through beyond what we think is possible. Now, the only th reason you can't sit down and meditate for a minute is because you feel like you can't sit down and meditate for a minute. That's the only reason. There's absolutely nothing else stopping you from doing this meditation for one minute. But yourself, you are your own worst enemy. Right? We just talked about authority at length a couple weeks ago. So when I do one of these episodes, don't think that I'm just doing this because I feel like talking about a particular thing. Yes, that's sometimes true. But a lot of times when I do these episodes, I have some kind of vague notion of where I want to take this podcast. And of course, I want to start kind of at the beginning. So you start with one minute of meditation. What is it that we do? Well, the easiest thing to work on this concentration muscle is to get some kind of physical, tactile experience. And so what you're going to do is you're going to hold your pointer finger to your thumb, and you're going to sit, and you're going to focus on the feeling that you get from your two fingers touching. Now, this is not technically a mudra, okay? So we talked about mudras before. Here are these you know, hand gestures that you do as you're meditating. This is not technically a mudra, although it's very similar. In many respects, it would be something very similar to like a jnana mudra, a shuna mudra, which you have your pointer and your, th your thumb touching, and the rest of your fingers are outstretched in some kind of position. Uh, none of that is relevant here. All we're doing is touching these two fingers. You want to touch your pinky and your thumb, or your pinky and your middle finger, whatever. However you want to do this is irrelevant. But this is how we're going to start working on strengthening that concentration muscle by touching these two fingers. And you can sit if you'd like, you can stand if you'd like. I do suggest being kind of still doing this, but you know, if you want to do like a walking mindfulness meditation while you do this, that's fine. It might be too much, too much going on at one time, right? We're, we're trying to start at the basics. So focus on these two fingers and just close your eyes. You can do this for one minute and just focus on the sensation of your fingers touching. That's all you're doing. Focus on the sensation. Okay, don't think about the why. Just think about the feeling that you get from these two fingers touching. You might get some fluctuation in, in the pressure that you're getting, right? As your fingers move further apart or you become more relaxed, maybe they become looser. Maybe you're a little tight, they get a little bit tighter. It doesn't matter. Just focus on the pressure between these two fingers. How much pressure is irrelevant? Just, just focus on the pressure. And do this for one minute. Do this for one minute every day. Do a minute in the morning. Do a minute at night. Maybe you want to do a third session. Okay? Maybe you, want to, you want to get to the good stuff. Do this three times a day for one minute every day. And pretty soon you'll notice that you can really focus very well on just the sensation. And that becomes easy, so we can go on to the next step. And the next step is one of the most important steps, and that is focusing on your breath. Now again, there's no right or wrong way to do this. I will make some recommendations on how to focus on your breath and how to do your breath, but there's no right way to do this. All you're going to do is breathe in and breathe out. 
You can do it in a normal cadence, whatever you're comfortable with doing. My one suggestion will be to do it with your mouth closed. So no mouth breathing, just breathe in through your nose. Breathe in, breathe out. However you normally breathe, just do that. While at the same time, holding your two fingers together and you focus on the pressure. So now we're focusing on two things. We're focusing on the pressure of the fingers, we're focusing on the breath going in and out. Now breath is really important and I will for sure be talking about breath a lot in the coming weeks as we dive into uh, some, some other types of meditation like holotropic breath work. But I was just listening to a pretty interesting episode of uh, the Joe Rogan podcast. I know some of you are probably sighing as I say that. That's fine. I don't listen to every episode either. But sometimes he does have some interesting guests on, and he just had a guest that wrote a book about breathing and how preposterous it is to have to write a book about breathing. But there's some, uh, some really interesting stuff that's discussed in that episode, so I do recommend you go check that out and, and listen to it. I don't think that went far enough, to be honest, because while there were some interesting things discussed in terms of the importance of breath work and the physiological changes that can undergo when you do proper breath work, and there was a strong emphasis on breathing in only through your nose, in and out through your nose. You know, they talked about like Tibetan monks uh, doing tumo and all that stuff, so it, it was very interesting. There's a lot of scientific proof that this kind of breathing technique works. But there was some stuff missing. Some of the more mystical stuff that I'm interested in is missing. So we're, uh, we're going to dive into some of that. But focus on your breath. Okay? Keep your mouth closed. Breathe in. Breathe out. It might be very difficult for you to breathe in through your nose. Breathe in, out, in and out through your nose. And that's, that's very possible. A lot of people are used to just breathing through their mouth. In particular, when you start hyperventilating, when you feel like you can't breathe, when you maybe have an asthma attack, whatever it is, it might be difficult for you to just breathe in through your nose. And maybe you have a deviated septum or whatever. Just try it out, and you'll see your airways start kind of opening up. Okay? We want to focus on the breath. You're going to breathe in, out. And you're going to do this for a couple of weeks. It might take you less. Maybe it only take you a few days or a week. But you can focus only on those two things. As you progress, you want to start bringing in other sorts of stimulus that can help you expand how you focus. So try new things with each of your senses as you continue. And I do feel like sensing your breath is a sense because most of the time, in particular, once you start getting into a good meditation practice, you start to realize, God, I never realized how I breathe. And it sounds really stupid. If you've never done it, it sounds preposterous to purposely watch how you breathe. But it's very interesting how that changes when you actually do. So the next thing we're going to do is we're going to we're going to pick some kind of visual object. Okay? Now again, if you're doing like a stereotypical image of a meditation, you kind of have your eyes almost closed all the way and you are looking kind of in front of you a couple of feet, uh, but your eyes are, you know, just a little slit is open. Now, I've mentioned Trataka medication before. It's uh, candle gazing, basically. Candle gazing is really good, in particular, if you are kind of new to this kind of meditation, to, to 
develop your focus, your concentration muscle. The problem with candle gazing is that it can be kind of hard on your eyes sometimes, right? So if you're too close, uh, your, your eyes will start water, you know? And, and the problem with that too is if, if you have to focus on a source of light, you're gonna have to blink. And of course, that will break your concentration when you blink. So a lot of times the, the practice that's been developed for this is you begin focusing on the candle, but after a while, when you have a good mental image of what the candle looks like, what the candle is, the way it behaves, the way it moves, what the colors are, then you close your eyes and you create a mental image of the candle. And then you focus on that. Now again, this is kind of the same thing as we were talking about before with the baby steps. Because staring at a concrete physical object in front of you is much easier and closing your eyes and creating a mental image of what that object looks like. The thing is, you might think that that's more difficult, but it's actually not. You do this all the time. And I'm going to be talking about anxiety at some point in the future because that's a really fascinating topic. We'll get to that when we talk a little bit about fear. But you do this all the time when you have you know, some kind of anxiety attack, panic attack, you, uh, you know, you're daydreaming at work or at school or whatever. You do this kind of visualization all the time. But the thing is, you don't, you don't have that practice muscle that you can do this at will. That you only do it when you feel like there's some kind of dire circumstance that's life-threatening, even though it's, of course, not. So you can do this. If you want to start off by simply visualizing something within your mind's eye, then by all means, go ahead and try that. But a visual object is good, and, and what I used to do is actually staring at my hand. I, I love staring at my hand. Uh, interestingly enough, I came to find out that it's a, it's a very old Christian mystic practice to stare at your hand. There's a, there's a passage about kind of how you, when you stare at your hand, you realize uh, that you're simply a piece of God. And uh, you, you can have that experience if you become practiced at gazing at your hand. Again, very silly exercise, yes. And what I say to you might seem completely preposterous that I could realize God by staring at my hand, but that's because you haven't tried it. So if you try it and you practice it, then maybe you'll see that as well. But the candle's a good object. Once you get really good at this, you can just focus on something in your mind. And I really like this with, uh, with regards to Tumo, so I for sure want to talk about Tumo. Because Tumo is a, like a great example of the kind of control you can have over your body when you become really experienced at all these things. And part of Tumo is visualizing that there is a burning fire in your stomach. And you know, you're doing breath work and there's several other things going on at the same time. So it's, it's a very complicated practice. But as a result, monks can go you know, out in the Himalayas when it's... 10 degrees out and snowing, and they don't get cold, right? This is the reason why this practice was developed. Uh, I believe there was actually a monk in, I'm going to get the, the time wrong, but I want to say like the 10th century, and he kind of got stranded in the mountains and developed this technique so that he wouldn't die of hypothermia. And of course it worked out. He, uh, he was able to get out of there and 
started teaching this practice. And of course, it's been a practice that's been taught there for the last thousand years. And there has been experiments on this in a lab setting where monks practice Tumo and, you know, they put, they wrap wet towels around them, put them in a freezer, basically, and they dry the towels, right? Because they're able to increase their, their body heat, uh, their body temperature, like I think eight degrees or 10 degrees. That's really interesting. So there is a lot more to the way that we control our systems than we believe is the case. Yeah, there's all kinds of stories about monks uh, you know, mummifying themselves. That's really interesting. We'll talk about that at some point. Uh, you know, there's stories about monks continuing to give off heat after they die, like all this crazy stuff. There's you know, stories about monks controlling their breath for, you know, holding breath for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, or getting their heart rate down to almost nothing where it feels like they're dead, right? Beat a minute or every two minutes, something like that. How is this possible? Well, they've mastered all these techniques, but we're not there yet. We, we can't sit still for one minute. So let's, let's get to the beginning. Now, one thing I really love to do when I meditate, not always, but I think it definitely helps is focusing on a sound. Now sound is really interesting without getting too new agey here. You know, everything's made of vibration, and, and sound is simply the vibration of an object. So sound is very powerful. You just have to be careful how it is that you use it. You can go online and find all kinds of binaural beats and DMT-activating music or whatever, you know? Sleep great for 10 hours, God frequency, all these things. I'm not sure about some of the claims that are laid out on some of these videos or podcasts or whatever, but there is some truth to the matter. Now, what the exact frequencies and all that, you know, that I think you need to experiment with yourself. But there is some really good science behind some of this stuff. And if you listen to the episode that I did with uh, Sean Cahill, uh, we talked a little bit about Hemisync and the Monroe Institute. So I recommend you go and check that episode out if you haven't. I recommend you do your research on both Robert Monroe and Hemisync. It's kind of the, the basis for what has become binaural beats. And, uh, and I think the science is really solid. It's really, really solid. There's definitely something about listening to these kind of sounds that does get you in a relaxed state. But of course, you need to be careful because if they can get you in a relaxed state, uh, they can agitate you. But you're in a different mental state. Okay? So Sean and I talked a little bit about how uh, the CIA used uh, Monroe's technology for uh, for mind control, etc. So you need to, you do need to be careful. All right, and this is not a conspiracy thing. Uh, some of you might be into conspiracies. I love I love reading about them. I don't believe many of them. It's not a conspiracy thing. It's it's legit science that gets used because it's it's a real thing. I have to find it really interesting, actually. You think of, uh, you know, all the occult mysticism from World War II, for example, in Vision of the Nazis. Uh, how much was actually found out? Uh, because even though it might seem like, you know, weird New Agey magic stuff, uh, there is some wisdom to things that they found. Right? And we do use some of that technology even today. I'm not going to get into all those things. You can research them yourself. Uh, but it is very interesting. Hemisync, though. Uh, I'll be I'll be putting an episode on in a couple of days. 
which will have a 20-minute hemi-sync uh, tone music composition piece, uh, whatever it's called. Uh, there'll be a 20-minute piece in there, a hemi-sync piece, uh, that works really, really well. And uh, I enjoy it. It puts me at peace. Actually, it's it's kind of odd after I listen to it. I feel like my mind has gotten bigger. Uh, that's it's I don't know. It's it's weird to describe. But I'll be putting it on there again. Be careful when you pick these things. Right? Vet them out. If there's somebody that uses a particular one that they really enjoy, then maybe try that thing out. Uh, experiment uh, with yourself, but always be careful with any of these things. But sound is really important. And it doesn't need to be, uh, you know, some kind of binaural beat or anything like that. It could be, you know, it works really well. This is why I like Hemisync actually a little bit better than something like binaural beats. What works really well is a, a monotonous repetition of a sound. So, you know, maybe you want to go into your laundry room and turn on your washing machine and, uh, and, and meditate to the sound of the washing machine. That works pretty well. The droning of a fan works really well, right? There's some science behind this. People that sleep with fans at night or, uh, you know, put on nature sounds. Uh, or maybe you can actually go into nature. That would be, uh, that'd be something. Go outside and sit by the river and meditate. Go into a mountain, listen to the birds and the wind. Right? Those kind of sounds work well as well. But of course, if you're in a city, you can't do that. I mean, you can get apps for that as well uh, that play nature sounds. Uh, one that is repetitive, though, will work the best because there's not a lot going on, right? This is the important piece. You don't want something that will distract you from your practice. You want something that will help you develop a particular aspect of your concentration. Another thing you can do is use a mantra. I know that's kind of popular specifically within uh, Hindu meditation. Uh, mantras are interesting. Again, you need to be careful with the mantras. For one, if you use something in a foreign language, you probably don't know what it means. You may not know the history of the word. And so for all you know, you could be saying some kind of spell to uh, curse yourself. I'm not saying that's the case. But you got to think about these things. Now, you could pick something like a saying. Uh, one that I've tried before is, uh, you know, you are not this, when you breathe in, you say you are not this body. When you breathe out, you say, you are not the self. Uh, I, I like that one. The problem with some of these things is if you don't have a lot of experience, saying these things can actually detract from the concentration because you focus on saying the right words and not on the practice itself. So if you find one of these sayings that you want to try out, by all means, if you think it works, you, know, you want to use OM or something, that's fine. But just be careful. I would recommend just picking something completely nonsensical, but something that's simple to say, right? Like, um, but um, um, but um, that could be good. Actually, you know, that kind of sounds like a heartbeat. So that might be perfect. But focus on a sound, right? So now we're, we're layering things. First, we focus on the pressure of our fingers touching each other. And we focus on the breathing in and breathing out. We focus on an object like a candle. Now we're focusing on sound. And one that you can do is you focus on a smell. So scented candle would actually be really good if you get to this point where you can mix all the senses. You just need to be careful again on what smell you pick. You now, if you pick something like uh, you know vanilla cookie, it might bring you back to a time in your childhood when your grandma made you cookies when you went over there, right? 
And so then you come to this point where, well, now you have extraneous thoughts coming into your mind as a result of this particular smell that you smelled. So try to pick a smell that you have no particular feeling towards. So anything food related, you probably don't want to do, right? Like cookies or apple pie, anything like that, you probably don't want to do that. But this is one of the reasons why traditionally you would have something like, you know, patchouli or sage or jasmine, something like this. Because there's there's nothing within those smells that would particularly recall you a, a certain experience in your past. Now, a lot of people don't talk about the smell aspect unless, you know, you're talking about meditating nature because naturally you have the smell of the outdoors. I think that's something that's kind of missing out of all this, right? Want to, we want to engage all the senses into becoming better concentrators in order to become better meditators. And so as you start doing all these and bring all these pieces together, you're going to see that your meditation practice will get much, much better. You're going to get a lot more out of your meditation practice when you are able to, one, focus on building up to the next level. Don't think that you can come in and do, you know, a 10-hour meditation and, and achieve enlightenment immediately. I mean, some people, you know, that's happened before, right? Somebody goes into a cave for 40 days and comes out enlightened. But for 99.9% .9 of people, that's not going to happen. But you need to start somewhere because you will get so many benefits from having this practice in your daily life. So that brings me to Neti Neti, because Neti Neti is very interesting. And in some respects, Neti Neti is the complete exact opposite of everything that I've told you just now. Neti Neti involves not focusing on anything. It means not this, not this. And it's very similar to the, the concept of agnosia that I've discussed previously, uh, kind of made famous by Pseudonionysis the Areopagite. Go check him out. I'm going to do an episode on him soon because he's a fascinating Christian mystic. And... Basically, as you do neti neti meditation, you don't focus on any particular thing. You just simply sit, or you can lay down. Just make sure you don't fall asleep if you lay down. You can close your eyes, keep your eyes open, whatever. It doesn't matter how you breathe. There's no, no particular exercise. The only thing you're doing is when a thought comes into your mind, you just kind of look at it and you say, well, I'm not that thing. And it goes away and the next thought comes in and you say, well, I'm not that thing. And eventually, if you keep doing this and doing this, you get to a point where you realize all there is is you, ultimate self. So it's a little more advanced, right? It's, it seems very simple to sit and do nothing, but sitting and doing nothing is extremely, extremely hard. And the only way to get to a point where you can sit and do nothing is to practice doing this focus meditation long enough where you feel comfortable with doing nothing. Now, I'm going to go deeper into Nitty Nitty probably in a week or two, because as you listen to this, I'm actually not at home. I am deep in the woods doing a solo meditation and a solo retreat. And so my plan for this retreat is to do a minimum of three days. Uh, I'm going to try to stretch it out to seven days is my goal, but I want to do a minimum of three days. And basically what that will entail is doing neti neti meditation uh, for at least three days. So I've never done anything of this length, of this magnitude. 
uh, you know, I think by the, the longest I've ever meditated is maybe two hours, maybe three. And, uh, and that's, that's quite an experience to, to, to sit and do, you know, what I will assume is, you know, 10, 12 hours every day is, uh, is going to be quite a challenge. But I, I want to get to the next step in my practice. And in order to do that, I feel like that's what I need to do. So I'll, I'll be doing this nitty nitty practice uh, over the next week. And uh, I will report back my results when I get back from doing so. I'm very excited to do it. It's something that I've been thinking about doing for quite a while. Uh, I've done these kind of solo things in the woods before, but you know, just for one overnight, right? So a day and a half, I guess you would say. Uh, so this will be a, a new experience that I hope uh, I can learn something out of. I know Justin Otto and I talked a little bit about it a little bit uh, last week. Justin from the Dharma Junkie podcast. And uh, it's kind of got me motivated to go ahead and try to do this. So I'll report all this back and uh, I'll explain how my uh, nitty nitty experiment went. And uh, we'll see how that goes. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned something and I hope you take some of these practices into better understanding why it is that, th that you do the things you do when you meditate. Right? We, we don't think about this kind of stuff. Don't think about this kind of stuff. We we listen to, to teachers and, and philosophers and priests and gurus and podcasters and YouTubers or whatever. But you never know why you do the things you do until you actually sit and think about why it is you do the things you do. And if you want to learn more about that, then go listen to the three episodes on authority that I put out a couple weeks ago. Anyways, that's going to be it for me. I want you all to stay safe, love each other, and uh, I hope you put some of these things into practice. You can find me on Twitter, at MindAlchemical, on Instagram, TheAlchemicalMind.com, and of course you can email martin at TheAlchemicalMind.com. That's going to wrap it up for me. As always, remember that you are it. Mm -hmm.